Chapter Twenty Eight of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Colonel Greatheart by H. C. Bailey. Chapter Twenty Eight. At Whitney Town. Colonel Royston was waked from his bed of clean hay at dawn, but he did not arrive in the quarters of Colonel Jacob Budd in time to hear a conversation of the commissary. The orders are plain to you, Colonel? Plain, sir. May I be God's executioner. And if it be not so, if this one that guides me proves to be a hireling, a man of Belial, why, you may still be God's executioner, said the commissary, smiling. Colonel Budd almost laughed. In a little while came Colonel Royston. The commissary saluted him affably. Colonel Budd, this is Colonel George Royston, who hath designed this fair work. I would have you know him well. The honor is mine, said Colonel Royston. Colonel Budd did not deny it. The lieutenant general bids you to breakfast, said the commissary. Colonel Royston appreciated the honor, but his appetite was something affected by the lieutenant-general's taking the occasion to expound the second beast of the apocalypse. Colonel Budd differed from his general concerning the significance of the first horn, and said so, and they parted hot. "'Well, sir, well, shall we ride?' said Royston eagerly, as they came out together. "'After some small exercise,' said Colonel Budd, Colonel Budd paraded his regiment in the meadows by the Ock, and there wrestled in prayer for the space of half an hour, the troopers groaning or giving praise as they were moved. Colonel Royston chiefly groaned, but he confessed that in the end they wheeled beautifully in the column of troop. They took the road for Kingston, bagpipes chanting, not sweetly, O Lord God, unto whom all vengeance doth belong, Almighty God, whose vengeance owns shine forth avenging wrong, lift up thyself, thou of the earth, the sovereign judge thou art, and unto them that are so proud a due reward impart. They had certainly a vile ear for music, but it annoyed Colonel Royston that he could find no other fault with them. They were men of seasoned strength, and their bearing approved them soldierly. They were equipped to admiration, with breasts and backs of steel over their buff coats, pot helmets, a pair of long pistols each, and a sword. There was hardly a worthless charger in the regiment, sturdy beasts, plainly bred in the fen levels. There could be no better for a campaign in the valleys and heavy turf hills of Middle England. Not the guard of Gustavus was better provided. Colonel Royston thought with a sneer of the ragged squadrons of King Charles. So they rode on, a goodly sight, a long trail of steel between the whitening willows of the flat grasslands, while the wayward sunlight flashed on their arms and made splendor in the thin cloud of dust. In the space between psalms, Colonel Jacob Budd engaged Colonel Royston's attention. Thou art surely a brand snatched from the burning, my good friend. 
It was I did the snatching. Colonel Bud groaned. I perceive thou art yet far from the truth and in the bondage of Arminus. I do not know him. Tis a minister of Beelzebub. Colonel Royston shook his head. I cannot give you joy of your acquaintance. Which taught the abominable heresy that whosoever will may be saved. Whereas, friend, whereas, and I shall look to expound to you more generously, the sweet truth is there be some elected to damnation, which they can by no means escape, and this shall be a goodly comfort, for it is all to the glory of God. Colonel Royston grunted. Never a man had less taste for theology than he. And look you, if thou dost think, poor worm, that thou hast saved thyself, Thou art still in the blindness of sin. No man saveth himself, seeing that all are worms. Yet some in the all-seeing providence of God are elected to salvation, and by no strength nor good works of their own are saved. Whereof they have a sweet and blessed assurance. There is also another assurance, the assurance of damnation, which I would give you. Egad, cried Royston, I have a very certain assurance of damnation if we go across the river with no videttes out. Colonel Budd scowled at him. It was the more objectionable in that it could not be denied. They were already close upon the river, and beyond lay the enemy's country. He gave hoarse orders. Royston marked with disdain the use of the stiff Dutch drill for the simpler Swedish and the column of rout was protected with double videttes and an advance guard before they came to Newbridge. Swollen with the spring rains, the two rivers came turbid and swift and crashed against each other in a whirlpool of foam and roared through the narrow stone arches. On the bridge the regiment halted while the videttes thrust forward under the trees up the diverging tracks. There was no danger, and at the old place, but fallen silent, they took the road to Whitney. Soon there were no more trees. They rode over a dead level of flat land, where furrows already were richly green. Laborers straightened themselves and leaned on their hose, gazing stolidly while the regiment passed, and stolidly fell to work again. It was not a war of the people. They cared little for its moves or its fortune, and, to make a show, soldiers were stale. So through Standlake and Brighthampton, where the women laughed and waved kerchiefs while stern Puritan troopers found ill names for them, they made on toward the circling hills. Something afternoon they struck the road to the west upon the high ground beyond Whitney, and straightway sent back a party to watch for any force from Oxford. The main body of the regiment moved westward at leisure, while an advanced guard sped far in front. But the advanced guard came nearly into Burford and found nothing, and the main body halted on the hill above Ashstall and made a meal of biscuit and cheese from the knapsacks. Colonel Royston went forward. It was drawing towards twilight when he came back in a hurry, with most of the guard clattering about him. "'They are drawn close to Burford, sir,' he cried, reining up. 
a quarter mile of them, as I judge, wains and pack horses, and no guard at all. Praise the Lord which has delivered them into our hands, quoth Colonel Budd. Let's hatch our chickens before we count them, said Royston, whose wisdom was of another color. Give me leave, sir. If we wait them there in the hollow between the two hills, we shall be well hidden and they well caught. What, sir, will you teach me? cried Colonel Budd. Nay, sir, I could not, said Royston smoothly. Nonetheless, will you move, sir? Will you move? Colonel Budd snorted with wrath, but the plan was so plainly best that he could not refuse it. In a moment, the regiment was dropping out of sight down the hill. Once in the hollow, the half of them were dismounted and lay down in the ditches. A squadron hid itself craftily in the hollows of the slope of either hill. The rest, with the led horses, made toward the river and were lost. It was already dusk. The hapless convoy came on innocently. The locked wheels of the wains groaned down the hill while the wagoners cursed their lurching horses that could not hold back enough on the loose road. There was no more guard than some score mounted men riding by twos and threes, gossiping together. The first of the wagons were down on the level and halted for unshackling their wheels. The whole train stayed perforce. Then from the ditch rose Colonel Budd and shouted. His dismounted men dashed upon the convoy, and the red flame of powder broke the gloom. On either hillside the mounted squadrons swept the road and before and behind escape was barred, even if the laden wagons could have made up hill at speed. It was a trap that might have held a fiercer prey. The convoy was in hopeless straits. Its few mounted men were pistoled speedily, and the Puritans fell on the wretched wagoners who had no arms. Quarter, sir, cried Colonel Royston with an oath. Bid them give quarter. The curse of Saul be upon thee, cried Colonel Budd, and thundered to his men, Smite and spare not, smite and spare not. He turned to Royston again. Verily, the wrath of the Lord is kindled against thee, for his pleasure is in the blood of his enemies. Colonel Royston turned away with a gesture of disgust and made for his horse. He loved war too well to like an idle butchery. But the Puritan troopers had a holy lust for their work. The wretched wagoners ran hither and thither in a ghastly fear, struck blindly with naked hands at men who kept them off with steel, knelt, shrieking piteously like children for mercy. There was none. They hid beneath the wagons and in the ditches, and the Puritan troopers dragged them out and slew. The hallows were carpeted with death and blood. So much time they wasted on this godly work that it was full dark before they started the convoy to moving again, and climbed away from the horror. Colonel Budd came up beside Royston and touched his arm. Friend, I fear me, thou art an amicalite at heart. Friend, said Colonel Royston, who is in no good temper, I see well thou art no soldier. How now, cried the Puritan, what naughty forwardness is this? Be assured, I am a man set in authority, and... 
and not fit for it, egad, cried Royston. But for the silly butchery, we might have been four miles away. We move at a foot's pace with all this gear, and each hour this side the river is dangerous. The Puritan laughed. I perceive you have no courage, friend. Not a whit under your command. Tis a one-one-one fight when a fool is colonel. You shall answer that, sir, cried Colonel Budd. You shall answer it to the lieutenant general. I will make good each word if we ever get to him. Oh, fool and faint-hearted, verily, I can scarce be angry with thee. Thou art a babe of fear. What haste is there? We will cross by the ford at Bablock Hythe, and be at Abingdon by midnight. Bablock Hythe? Royston gasped in most honest amazement. Bablock Hythe? Well, Syrah, and isn't not the shortest way? Egad, the longest way round is here, the shortest way home. It's tempting Providence to venture near Oxford. The Lord, sir, will take care of his own. That is why I tremble for us. Nay, sir, if you would not lose all, go round by Newbridge as we came. Colonel Budd was plainly amused. Verily, thou art matter of mirth with thy host of fears. What have we to dread from Oxford? We have kept watch all day, and there is nothing moving thence. The devil himself may be moving now. They expect this convoy, and some guard must come for it. Look, you, sir, if you do your duty, you will consult for safety, and go round by Newbridge. Do you think to school me? cried Colonel Budd. What? Would you be my master? Be assured, sir, I am set in authority, and thou shall not minish it. Colonel Royston shrugged. Go to the devil your own way. Remember, I told you where you were going. Colonel Budd preached him a sermon concerning original sin and the effectual calling of the elect. End of chapter 28 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas